0: Our New Testament reading today is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And our sermon text today is in the gospel of Matthew, chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, music team. What a joy to be with you today. Third Sunday of Advent. And what did you want to see? Brother Keith sitting in his spot right there. Man, praise the Lord. Good to have you back, brother. I'm I'm saying amen. Amen. There we go. What a blessing to see you. And uh, as, as thankful as I am for that new heart muscle you got in the middle of your body there, I'm even more thankful for the spiritual heart that God gave you when he saved you because it's the spiritual heart that's your ticket to heaven, not the physical heart. So praise the Lord. God, man, what a joy to see you there, brother. What a joy. Man, praise the Lord. Third Sunday of Advent, someone has said that Advent is for adoring Jesus, and that's what we want to do today, adore Jesus. Uh, we're in the letter U in our study of the names of Jesus, and we'll even get, in our Advent pondering, we'll get the letter V. So we're moving along, we're getting close to the end here, and, uh, and so let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to speak to us today. Father, what a joy to be here with my church family, what a joy to have Keith worshiping with us again, pray you'd continue to give him a good, strong recovery and a restoration of his strength, Father, and uh, just thank you for your abundant blessings to us, all found in the person of Jesus who came to save us. Lord thank you for Christmas. Thank you so much. Speak to us today Father from your word. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to embrace the wonder of who you are. The wonder of our wonderful counselor, our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's let's ponder together the wonder and beauty of Jesus. So we've got three uh, adjectives for the letter U. No titles, no names. I don't don't believe there are any. If you find one, let me know. So these are adjectives describing Jesus, okay? They begin with the letter U. First one we're looking at is His unsearchable riches. The riches of Jesus, according to Ephesians 3.8, are unsearchable. In that verse, Paul writes, to me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable means several meanings, several synonyms. Fathomless, uh, unfathomable, incalculable, impossible to trace to the end of incomprehensible in other words the in other words the riches of Christ are 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 limitless you will never get to the end of them and that's a good thing these riches of Christ include all of his blessings all of his wisdom all of his truths all of his strength all of his guidance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that he is and all that he has, they're unsearchable. One of the main purposes of this study of the names of Jesus that we've been in since the beginning of last summer, and in fact, when you get to the bottom of it, all of the preaching ministry at Rockdale Community Church is to declare the unsearchable riches of, Of Christ and consistently and regularly remind this church family of how rich we are in Him. It was the summary that Paul gave of his preaching. God gave him grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we are complete in him. We are joint heirs with him. We have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. Just begin to ponder, begin to think of the riches that Jesus has blessed us with and that we are growing in both individually and corporately as a church family. The riches of his amazing grace. The riches of His unmerited mercy. The riches of His lavish kindness. The riches of His undying patience. The riches of His perfect wisdom. The riches of His unlimited knowledge. The riches of His great love. The riches of His Holy Spirit. The riches of His blessed assurance. The riches of His infallible Word, the riches of his glorious inheritance. We could go on and on, couldn't we? It would it would be never ending. Even we could add to the list. Even being reproached and ridiculed and possibly persecuted for his sake—that's even a part of those riches. We see that demonstrated by the apostles in the book of Acts, where they were beaten and then went away rejoicing. That they had been considered worthy to be beaten for the cause of Christ. Glenn Scribner in his devotional book through the Bible writes of this verse, Christ is the storehouse of the Father's overflowing bounty. We are beggars more than destitute in our sins. Yet through Christ we have been adopted as heirs into that royal family. We call on an Abba Father who is mind-blowingly rich and who literally loves us to death. Does that change the way you approach this day? Dear church family, may we rejoice in our generous Father and may we never fail to preach and teach and proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Secondly, uh, in Hebrews thirteen eight, we read this: Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So His nature is unchangeable. His nature is unchangeable. Now, why is this such good, great, wonderful news? Because it means that Jesus will never, never stop loving His people. And the intensity of his love for us will never change. You can't do anything to make Jesus love you less, and you cannot do anything to make him love you more. His love is eternal. His love is constant. His love is unchanging. He will never stop shepherding his sheep. He will never lose his grip on us. Nothing can take us out of his hands. He is keeping us now. He will always keep us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That promise is unchanging. He is guarding our souls now, and he always will. As Charles Spurgeon said, he is immutable. He will not change. He is all wise. He need not change. He is perfect. He cannot change. Hallelujah. Christ's riches are unsearchable. His nature is unchangeable. And thirdly, his priesthood, his representation of us in glory before the throne of God is unstained. It is unstained. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, when, when teaching on and preaching on, Hebrews was basically a sermon. He's preaching on the priesthood of Jesus. And in verse 26, he says this, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy innocent unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens the word unstained means undefiled free from any moral or spiritual blemish absolutely perfect think about it e- even though Constantly living among sinners for 33 years, he remained unstained. Even though being subject to the height of temptation from Satan, especially during those 40 days in the wilderness, he remained unstained. Jesus was untouched by the sin around him and withstood the direct onslaughts of Satan himself. John MacArthur writes, Just as the rays of the sun can shine into the foulest, stagnant pond and not lose their radiance and purity, so Jesus lived his life in the sinful, defiled world without losing the least of his beauty and and purity. He is so worthy of our total adoration. He is so worthy of every ounce of our worship. His priesthood is unstained. His nature is unchangeable. And his riches are unsearchable. Now why is that? Why are those statements true for Jesus? Well, that leads us to our Advent in the letter V. Those statements are true because of Christ's virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus results in his riches being unsearchable, his nature being unchangeable, and his priesthood being unstained. Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. And this mind-boggling boggling truth that we want to ponder today deeply, I challenge you, I challenge you to, to, to go deep with this this morning with me and think and meditate on and marinate in the, the, the truth of the, the, the miracle of the virgin birth of our Savior because it's the foundational reason why his riches are unsearchable. It's the bedrock teaching of why his nature is unchanging. His priesthood is unstained, holy, innocent, separate from sinners because he was born in a very different way than any other human being. Of which Jesus was one. Our Lord's virgin birth makes him unique, different from any one of us, every one of us, sinner and saved alike, totally different, separate from sinners, tempted in all things, yet without sin. The virgin birth is the explanation, is the bottom-line explanation for all of that. We we could say that what we have here today is a dividing-line doctrine. It's it's a dividing-line doctrine because people who do not believe in the virgin birth usually, usually do not believe in the deity of Christ and ultimately deny the, the miraculous and the supernatural events and elements of Scripture. Their God is not the God of Scripture, but the God of naturalism. But the Bible, without apology, without embarrassment, very plainly and straightforwardly, no words like, hey, you're not going to believe this, but... No, no, just very clear, very concise, very straightforward, teaches the virgin birth of Jesus, as I just read in the sermon text that we're, we're springboarding from. Very plain language, very straightforward, very clear, very concise, very common language. And, and, and beloved, here's something we desperately need to understand. We desperately need to understand this. In John 17, verse 17, right before Jesus went to the cross, you know, he's an adult now. He's, get, he's, he's about to go to the cross to pay for our sins. He plainly said in that high priestly prayer, he plainly said to his father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Every bit of it. Every jot and tittle. So, if the virgin birth is false, then Jesus either lied when he said your word is truth and therefore is not unstained. He's not sinless. He's not separate from sinners. He's just like all of us other liars. Or he was ignorant. He thought God's word was truth, but just didn't know, meaning he's not omniscient. Either way, result is He's not God, and we are doomed. We are doomed. Do do we see that? Do we understand that? The virgin birth is not an optional doctrine from two angles, at least. Maybe there's another one out there, but from at least two angles, the virgin birth is not an optional doctrine, number one, because Jesus said it was true. Your word is truth, every bit of it. Jesus said whatever God said is true. And God says Jesus was born of a virgin. So, from that angle, the virgin birth teaching is not optional. Jesus said it was true. And if it's not, he's disqualified from being our Savior. Second angle, the virgin birth is required... So that Jesus will not inherit the sin of Adam and thus become the unstained, spotless Lamb of God. Now let's continue to pursue that thought together this morning, okay? With me? All right, first, the birth of Jesus from a woman, a woman points to his human nature and his appearance as the second Adam. We've got an Old Testament text and a New Testament text that kind of line up together. Isaiah 9 6, we sang it to start the, the, the service, tells us that a child is born. Sounds very natural. A child is born. We've had a lot of children born in our church family history. Very natural, very natural occurrence, very everyday occurrence. You can argue that the, the 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 birth of a human from another human miraculous, but but okay, we'll we'll give you that. But basically, that's the way God designed it. He designed women to have babies. So very common event. A child unto us, a child is born. Then the the corresponding New Testament, Galatians four four verse. Tells us that God's Son would be born of a woman. Born of a woman, not a man, right? Born of a woman. Funny you gotta emphasize that these days. Born of a woman, just like all of us. Just like all of us. Born of a woman. Our Savior had to be human. He had to be one of us. He had to be like Adam, with flesh and blood, like us. He had to be our kinsman redeemer. Only a human could qualify as our substitute. Only a human could qualify as our redeemer. Only another human could take our place. He had to be human like us because from the first Adam, we inherited our sin nature. But from the second Adam, we get a new nature. Hallelujah. Now, why is that? Well, because of the second fact. The fact that Jesus was born apart from human fatherhood points to his divine nature as the Son of God. Back to our corresponding verses Isaiah Isaiah 9 6. Not only was it announced that a child would be born, it was also announced that a son is given. A son is given. Directly from the Father, directly from heaven, directly from the throne of glory, directly from the glories of, of heaven. In Galatians 4:4, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. How? Through a woman, born of a woman. So there you have the two natures of Jesus, OK? Born of a woman child is born humanity son is given God sent forth his son a miraculous event preserving the deity of Christ God sent forth his son a son who always existed To be our savior. Jesus not only had to be human but he also had to be God. He not only had to want to save us as one like us, he had to be able to save us as one totally unlike us. No other mere human was able. Another mere human might have wanted to But the ability would not be there because every other human except for Jesus is a sinner. Disqualifying him or her from being a savior. Our human savior also had to be God with the power to save a vast but specific group of sinners by laying down His perfect life. He had to be the God-man, which we pondered when we were at the letter G in this study. The birth of Jesus was so much different than ours, even though the final delivery was the same as ours. In fact, I probably need to correct myself. I suppose we should say the conception of Jesus was different than ours. The birth and delivery is just like ours. Hard, painful, joyful, all those things mixed. You ladies know what we're talking about. We men don't know what we're talking about, and we never will. Okay? We never will. Now, with that thought in mind, the conception of Jesus being different than ours Think now with me of the innocent questions of a child to his or her parent. You know those questions we're talking about. Many of you have already dealt with them. A lot of us are done with them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) Some of you are dealing with them now. Some of you will deal with them. Rest assured, they will come. Those questions about the facts of life. And boy, do we need to be accurate and biblical And forthright and uncompromising. Even, who would have ever dreamed, courageous about that subject in this day and time. But for our purposes today, let's consider that that where did I come from question. Which might be worded something like this. Daddy, where was I before I was born? Where was I before I was born? Well... For we humans, the answer is nowhere. Nowhere. We didn't exist. Now, you could theologically argue that in the mind of God we did because He knew us before the foundation of the world. But in in a physical way, in the physical realm, no, we were nowhere. We were nowhere. We did not exist. But that would not be the correct answer for Jesus. Before he was born as a human being, he existed from all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches this in in several places. Here's a few quick examples. John 8, 58, Jesus is in this dialogue, this argument, this debate, this uh, intercourse with uh, this verbal intercourse with the Pharisees and and they're they're bragging about being uh, related to Abraham and being connected to Abraham. And uh, man, uh, you're teaching us. You're not even 50 years old. And we're of Abraham and Jesus in verse 58 stops them dead in their tracks and says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. In other words I've always existed. I existed before Abraham. I'm, I've always been in existence. In Colossians 1.17, Paul tells us that he is before all things. He's before all things. All things. In John 1, the classic, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning. Beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then just to make sure we miss the point, John sums it up. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always been in the beginning. He's always been with God. He was in the beginning with God. Well, how do you know he's talking about Jesus? Well, verse 14 nails it when it says in that word that was in the beginning with God, that word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. The late great R.C. Sproul says it like this, the overarching concern of the New Testament is not the birth of a baby. No, no, don't get lost in the uh, sentimentality of, of the birth of a baby. As sweet and wonderful as that is, the overarching concern of the New Testament is not the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God. The Christian faith stands or falls with the Incarnation. In the birth narratives, we have the climactic appearance in history of the long-awaited Redeemer of Israel. The Incarnation is the watershed not only of Western history, which is measured in terms of BC and AD, but of all history. Here is the point of convergence among the Old Testament prophecies The moment, as we sang a couple of times, when light enters the world. This is where Yahweh tents or tabernacles the exact translation of John 1.14 with his people. So as the incarnate God of the universe, Jesus was not created. He always existed. He was in the beginning with God. But according to Hebrews 10.5, the writer there, the inspired writer tells us that a body was created or prepared for him. Hebrews 10.5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, that's Christmas, right? When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared For me. So, the second member of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, needed a body that could be nailed to a cross to pay for our sin. As John MacArthur explains, in the mind of God, before the world was ever created, he knew that the old system, the old covenant system, the old priestly system would be ineffective from the beginning he had planned that Jesus would come and die when Christ was ready to be incarnated standing on the edge of heaven as it were talking to his father he acknowledged that his own body was to be the sacrifice that would please God so he needed a body to be nailed to a cross And God prepared that for him. In in this morning's Advent devotional, Alistair Begg, not on your sheet because I just read it this morning, said this. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, entered this world to do in his body what no animal sacrifice could do. The animal sacrifices were just temporary. Temporary. They solved the sin problem temporarily, not permanently, and they were foreshadowings of the Lamb of God who would come and die once for the sins of all of his people. Hallelujah. Now, let's, let's continue our pondering, okay? Let, 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 let's continue to ponder these unsearchable riches that we see from the virgin birth and the result of the virgin birth. Let's continue to ponder the the Word made flesh, the divine, unique, virgin-born Son of God. Ponder, Ponder this with me. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. You know, Gabriel, I think, used the term overshadowed. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Reminds us of the creation narrative in Genesis 1. When the Spirit is hovering over the waters, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary in her chaste, pure, virginal, childless state. And His power, that power of the Holy Spirit, brings about the conception of the Messiah. Just think about that. And Jesus, nine months later, is born, born of a woman very naturally, after a supernatural conception. And the Bible says the people will behold his glory. And we get to do that now. Even though he's not physically with us, we, we behold his glory from the pages of this book. We behold his glory in the names that we study. We behold his glory as we grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and his power brings about the conception of Jesus. Think about your salvation. The Holy Spirit comes upon us in our spiritually dead state. Regenerates us and makes us new creations who were born again resulting in according to colossians 1:27 Christ in us the hope of glory ponder that savor that dive deep into that there's there's a connection oh it's it's totally i'm not equating it with the virgin birth but there's a connection The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and Jesus is conceived. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and we get new life in us. Do you see the connection? Let's continue. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and a nine month process is begun. The process of forming the Son of God using. The biological processes of human gestation. A body you have prepared for me. How did God do that? Through natural human gestation in a woman. So thankful for women. Oh, there That body is being prepared inside of Mary. That would not have happened in a man. Jesus is being prepared inside of a woman. Mary. Make the connection. The Holy Spirit comes upon us grants us repentance and faith and a lifelong, not nine month a lifelong process is begun where, whereby we are formed slowly but surely into the image of Christ. And that's called sanctification. Wow. Precious Holy Spirit. Causing the conception of our Savior And sweet Mary. And then regenerating our hearts. And forming us into our Savior's likeness. Holy Spirit's definitely God, isn't he? Remember Paul's heart toward the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. My little children. For whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. That makes us think of the virgin conception of Jesus, our Savior being formed inside of Mary. J.I. Packer calls this, this Christ being formed in us, the inwardness of true religion, a state of being that starts in our hearts, a supernatural product, let me insert here so Packer won't get blamed for this statement, similar but not identical, okay, do you hear that? Not identical to the virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus. The inwardness of true religion, a state of being that starts in our hearts, a supernatural product. Being born again is a supernatural event, beloved. You're not a Christian because you made a human decision. It's the result of a supernatural act on your dead heart that you were born with, in which God gives you new life you can't do it on your own we'll talk more about that just a minute i'm getting ahead of myself here the inwardness of true religion back to the packer quote a state of being that starts in our hearts a supernatural product having god for its author and being wrought in the souls of men by the holy spirit Man, I I just can't stop thinking about this. Continue to think of the beautiful, divine, holy, wondrous mystery of the virgin birth. Of sweet Mary's womb encasing her creator in embryo form. Almighty God using the normal, human, biological functions of the female body that he originally designed, he designed it, to knit the body of the one who would save us inside of her. That's amazing to me. That blows me away. The the embryo of Jesus was in Mary being formed by a process designed by God called human gestation. Again, which can only happen in women. Until she would deliver the one who would ultimately deliver us. In a similar vein, again, not identical, but in a similar vein, the heart of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the image of Jesus is in every believer and it is being formed by the spirit of God in a process called sanctification until that day when we stand before our Lord and Savior and according to 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. Are are these connections amazing or what? Or just kind of boring, you know, gobbledygook to you? I've got a very important question for you as we move to a close. Has this process started in you? I'm not, not gestation, okay? We know that happened to you, okay? Because you're here, okay? We're talking about sanctification. Has this process started in you? That's the question of the ages. That's the most important question of the universe. Is Christ being formed in you? You think he would be sleeping right now? Is he being formed in you? If not, i got great news for you. Today's the day of salvation. Christmas time's a great time to be saved. Well, any time is a good time to be saved. April, April tax day is a good day to be saved. Any day is a good day to be saved. But what a Christmas gift. What a Christmas gift to be born again. To receive the gift of a new heart. To receive the gift of the beginning of the sanctification process, which will take way, way more than nine months. It'll take your whole life until you die. And then you stand before Jesus and you're, you're like him. Today's the day of salvation. So our final word today is a story I've shared with, with my church family before in a previous uh, virgin birth message. I want to remind you of it this morning. It's a heartbreaking story, but I think it illustrates what we're trying to say here about the virgin birth. The story of a grandmother who was taking care of her two-year-old granddaughter. Girl fell in a swimming pool. Woman didn't know how to swim, but she jumped in anyway in a desperate attempt to rescue the child, and they both drowned. Tragic story. But here's the lesson we can take from that. And apply it to our message today. When you're drowning, you need help from someone who meets two basic requirements. Number one, they must be willing to rescue you. Bless her heart. Grandma was she was willing. But sadly that wasn't enough. Secondly, and very necessarily. They must be able to rescue you. They must be willing to rescue you. they got to want to do it. But they also have to be able to do it. They have to have the power to do it. A rescuer cannot be a person who himself needs to be rescued. We've talked about this many times. What was our greatest need? Our greatest need was forgiveness. And God provided that at Calvary. Then our second greatest need was goodness. And God provided that when at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and began to form us, take up residence and form us in, into the perfect good nature of Jesus. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And for that we needed a Savior. And it could not be someone who also needed forgiveness. And at this point, Christianity and all other religions part ways. Massive separation at this point. Because every other religion has prophets and gurus and teachers who will tell us how we can better ourselves or how we can save ourselves. They, they, they stand at the at the side of the pool, you know, and they shout out swimming instructions. Uh, We we even have those within the church, uh, especially in America, Well, and in Africa, as Brother Ryan tells us about, uh, the prosperity preachers who tell us how we can have our best life now. By the way, if your best life is now, that means you're going to hell, okay? For the Christian, our best life is later. But I digress, only true Christianity proclaims a qualified Savior, one who can snatch us from the devastating undercurrent of sin. He doesn't yell at us to swim harder. He doesn't point to the shore and leave the rest up to us. He knows our predicament is serious. And we're not going to make it on our own. And we can't make it on our own. And here's the bombshell kicker. We didn't want to make it. We didn't want to make it. John 3.19 says we love the darkness. Drowning spiritually was pleasurable to us. We did not and we will not on our own Seek a rescue. In other words, if you're here today without Christ as your Lord, you like it that way. That's where you want to be. And you will stay like that unless God gives you a new heart. And that's why Jesus came at Christmas. To make that a reality for all of God's people. But here's the good news. Again, the hopeful news, the wonderful news. Remember what the angel said to Mary at the end of his announcement to her? That we, I think we read it last week in Luke 137. Nothing will be impossible with God. Yeah, you like where you are. If you're a lost person, you like where you are, you love the darkness. But God can change that because nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. When I'm aware of my own sinfulness and my own depravity and the inability to please God in my own strength, I realize that I needed something more than another guy on the street who is sinful like me because he was born like me. I needed something more than a swimming instructor barking out directions. I needed something more than a human street sign pointing the way but unable or unwilling to take me where I needed to go. I needed something more than a person who says, I love you, but if you want to be saved, it's ultimately up to you. Listen, listen, I didn't need lessons in swimming. I didn't need directions or encouragement. I needed someone to pick me up, cleanse me, breathe life into my lifeless soul, perform spiritual CPR on my dead heart, and take me to God. That's what I needed. And that's what every lost person in this room needs right now. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh in the flesh the body that was prepared for him by the human process of gestation in a woman but made alive in the spirit again why was Christ qualified to do this Why was he qualified to save all who would believe in him? Why was he exempt from the sin that plagues every man, woman, and child and disqualifies us from being our own savior? Answer, the virgin birth. The virgin birth. It is not a negotiable doctrine. It's a crucial doctrine. It's a necessary doctrine. Because the miraculous conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary preserved his sin- sinlessness. If he, had been another, if he had just been another son of Adam in the natural way, having human father and human mother coming together, he would have inherited the sin that we all inherit. And we would have been, he would have been disqualified to save anyone. But God, but God, the Father, through His Holy Spirit, performed a special miracle on Mary that ensured the perfection of her firstborn son and paved the way for our salvation. Merry Christmas, church family. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Jesus. What a gift. Indescribable, unstained. Unsearchable, holy, separate from sinners, perfect, unchanging, glorious, majestic, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, our Savior, sent from God, born of a woman. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A trillion times. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray.
0: Amen.